So, um, quick icebreaker question, um, and somebody better speak up or I'll start pointing you out. You know I will. Um, if you've ever been a part of one of my classes, you, you'll know that very, very quickly. I will, I will point you out, and I will, I will make you get involved. Um, so, um, somebody just, uh, just stand up. Doesn't, you don't have to take very long, but describe what guilt feels like and what, it, what its definition is to you. Just anybody. Who's willing to do that for me? Okay, come on, Courtney. Feel bad for something you've done? And how, how does that feel to you? I, I, uh, come on, I can get, get along with all of that. I can get along with all that. Anybody else got anything they can add to that? Yes, Brother Bob. Yeah, that's ter- it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. Um, so tonight's lesson, 3.3. Um, Um, We're going to talk about a clean heart, a clean heart. Um, The big idea of our lesson is I will repent when I sin, not if, when. Okay, Romans 3 and 23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means, guess what? We're human. At some point, we are going to mess up. Look at your neighbor and say, sometime you're going to mess up. (laughs) Some of y'all said that way too confidently, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah, it's inevitable, some of us are going to mess up, from, from pastor all the way down to our, our newest little member, somebody, somebody at some point, you will mess up, um, and the idea of having a clean heart is understanding that repentance is not something that we do one time. Well, Pastor believes it and Sister B believes it, but I don't know about anybody else. It is not something that we do just one time. This is something that's going to be an ongoing life of repentance. Amen? Amen. So um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalms 51. Or if you've got your digital devices like I use. Hallelujah. You have it say amen. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Um, So we need to understand this truth about God tonight. And it is quite simply this. God will forgive us when we repent. Does anybody believe that? God is He's faithful and just to forgive. He will forgive us when we repent. It is really that simple. Um, So to bring this this thought into uh, captivity, if you will, and to bring us into the mindset of where this lesson is going, I'm going to read a quick story um, that really kind of brings our mindset into where God is calling us tonight. Um, The story goes like this. There was once a youth minister in a local church who fell into sin. Uh, It began in a moment. Uh, It's never something that happens just in a, in, a, in a second. It's always going to be something that slowly happens through your life. But there is some point that you will find in your life where you, that was the moment where I messed up. 
Now, that's the easiest place to repent and get over it. If you don't do it right then and there, that's where it begins to compound and get uglier and uglier and uglier. Unfortunately, this young minister did not take that opportunity to forgive or to repent in that moment. Satan, knowing how to tempt this young minister, provided an opportunity for his eyes to wander. The young man took the bait and his eyes lingered too long on someone who wasn't his spouse. Uh, before long, the long looks turned into lust. The, 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 uh, the, the lust turned into a fantasy uh, in his mind. The young man eventually began to actively seek out this particular sin until it became a habit, a regular part of his existence. Ultimately, months after the first moment of temptation, the sin had completely overtaken his life. His entire schedule revolved around it. Eventually, his sin was discovered by his family and by his pastor, and his world came crashing down around him, proving the age-old scriptural principle, be sure your sins will find you out. Numbers 32 and 23. Unfortunately, similar, similar things have happened many times to different people in many different contexts. Okay, it, it has happened to new converts in Christ and to the seasoned minister. In this particular tragic example, the story did not end the way it did for this young, it did not have to end, excuse me, the way it did for this young man. At any given moment, he could have confessed his sins and repented. He, he had a choice whether to continue in his sin or to repent of his sin. Unfortunately, he fooled himself into believing that he could hide his sins. Um, he was wrong. Uh, God refused to coexist along this, beside this young man's hidden sin. That's something we need to understand tonight wholeheartedly is that God will not coexist with sin. Do we believe that in this house tonight? God refuses to coexist with sin. He loves the sinner. He died for the sinner. We talked about this multiple times. He, 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 thought, he, he died for the, the drug addict and the pedophile as much as he did for me and pastor. He, he thought they were to die for. He loves them, but he hates the sin. And he refuses to coexist where sin is. Another true story demonstrates a very different response to temptation and sin. There was a middle-aged minister whom Christ had delivered from a lifestyle of drugs, cigarettes, and alcohol. After a particularly stressful day at a secular job, he walked into a gas station restroom. On his way home from work, sitting on the sink was an open bottle of alcohol and a lit cigarette. As in the previous story, the man's eyes lingered too long. He surrendered to the temptation. He picked up the container and drank. He picked up the cigarette and he smoked. However, this man's story had a very different ending. On his way home, guilt overwhelmed him. That evening, he confessed to his wife and his pastor. He repented and allowed the accountability partners in his life to strengthen him and prevent such an event from ever happening again. Now, I want you to hear that, what I just said a minute ago, his accountability partners in his life. Do not think you are strong enough. You, I, I don't care how much word you can quote the Bible from, from cover to cover. You, you are not strong enough to make it through this battle on your own. 
You are not strong. Your circle is invaluable. I have men of God in my life. Our pastor and our youth pastor are on that circle. Uh, 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 Brother Craig Calbus is on that circle. He's an assistant pastor in Upper Sandusky. And, and Brother Mark Crowder is a part of that circle. And Brother Shad Holly is a part of that circle. He's an evangelist who's preached here before. And these are men of God that I have made promise me that they will tell me when I mess up. And make sure without a shadow of a doubt that I am submitted to what God has to say through them to me. You need your circle. It is invaluable. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure we heard that. The, now the, the man restore, was restored and he never went back to that lifestyle again. This man's story demonstrates another scriptural truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1 and 9. So getting into our lesson tonight, uh, the first thing we need to understand is that we have a sinful nature. Uh, the Bible says that we are born into sin and shapen in iniquity. It is your nature, your human nature will always gravitate towards that which is not of God. It is the spirit that lives inside of us that we allow it to take over and guide us and direct us, our thoughts, our minds, our actions, our words, where we go, where we don't go, what we say, what we don't say. When we allow the spirit to take over, that's when we become truly Christ-like or a Christian. Amen. Um, the Bible makes it very clear that sin is pervasive in our world. Um, ever since Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the Garden of Eden, every human has been born with a natural, uh, pro, uh, pro, uh, just an ability to gravitate towards sin, if you will. Uh, this can be easily proven by asking parents which is harder, teaching kids to do bad or to do good. Uh, most parents will testify that doing bad comes naturally to their children. Can I get a witness from a parent in this house? Um, it, it, comes, it comes naturally, but children must be taught to do good. As a father in my home, I, my, my children, and, I, and I've been blessed with great kids. It's not like they're crazy, wild, bouncing off the walls. Well, Asher does sometimes, but hallelujah. Um, he's a lot like his daddy in that aspect. But they're, they're not crazy kids. They're great kids. But believe it or not, they mess up from time to time. Uh, a daddy has to come in, and I have to correct and put them back on the straight and narrow. It's not that I don't love them. It's not the, in fact, it's quite opposite. It's I love them too much to watch them wander off somewhere stupid. Um, and that's not as easy as just letting them do what they want to do. It is a lot more difficult to help guide them down the, the straight and the narrow than it would be to just kind of let them live their own life and do what they want to do. Um, and just in case anyone would try to pretend um, exemption from the natural inclination to sin, the writers of Scripture repel that notion. Paul famously wrote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I just quoted that a few minutes ago, Romans 3 and 23. Uh, another New Testament writer rebuked those who claimed perfection, saying, If we say that we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's 1 John uh, 1, verses 8 and 10. 
the truth can easily be seen by observing some of these scriptural giants, if you will, in Scripture. Moses, Abraham, David, Paul, and Peter all had moments where they participated in heroneous sin, nasty sin, uh, just horrendous sin, if you will, um, which included adultery. Um, it, it included murder. It, 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 there were there were just some of the you know things that you know we we're like oh my lord I, I told a white lie today oh Lord Jesus forgive me no these were murderers adulterers extortioners these were these were not that there's not a little sin or a big sin but the Bible does talk about there being ten that are and a reproach against God, okay? So I know a little sin will send you to hell just as much as a big sin, but these are these are big things that we would look at. We're like, oh, wow, that, that requires... Some people look at it like, I need a little bit more repentance, Pastor, for murder than I do a white lie. Um, these are just ugly things that we see. Um, however, within the tragedy of their stories of sin also lies hope for us. Um, if those individuals can confess their sins, repent and be restored, then so can we. Would you agree? So, understand, you have a sinful nature. We're born into sin, shaping into iniquity. The next thing we need to understand is that temptation will come our way. It is inevitable. A frustrating reality of life is that we all will be tempted. No one is exempt. Paul described the temptations we face as being common. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. Even Christ was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11. The writer of Hebrews noted that Jesus was in all points tempted like as were we are, yet without sin. However, there is an important distinction to be made. Being tempted is not a sin. Ooh, that went over like a flock of turkeys, Pastor. Uh, Being tempted is not a sin. If it was, then the Bible is completely false. Jesus was tempted, but he he sinned not. He was a man that lived a, a sinless life. God robed in flesh. Amen? So being tempted is not sin. It is not. Uh, we need to understand that. Um, uh, we must choose whether to give in to temptation or not to give in to temptation. That is what will determine whether you have overcome and sinned not or whether you have fallen into sin. Um, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Whenever we are tempted, we should immediately turn to God and look for a way of escape. Know this. In a moment of temptation, the only escape will be when you look to him. Ooh, I got awful quiet again, Pastor. I don't know if they believe that or not. Let me, let me put it this way. If we try to look at our own, our own self, we, again, we understand we're born into sin. We're shaping in iniquity. We're going to gravitate towards a sinful nature and not towards what God wants us to do. So if we are being tempted and we rely on our own flesh or if we rely on what the world says to do, are we going to overcome it? 
we're not. We will not overcome it. The only way to overcome it is to look. What did Jesus do? Anybody, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. He used his sword. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thus it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus was tempted. What did he fight him with? He fought him with the word. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 119.11. These are scriptures that we should be hiding inside of our heart. Uh, Not just these, but multiple, multiple, multiple scriptures. Why? Because when I am tempted, I look to him. I look to the word, the word made flesh that dwelt among us. What's his name? Jesus. I look to him. I look to his word. Why? Because that is where my way of escape comes. Temptation will come. It is inevitable. But God will provide a way of escape if you look to him. Do you believe that? So then we have to ask ourselves the question, what steps do I take to prevent myself from being tempted in situations And when I am tempted, what steps am I going to take to escape? We must ask ourselves these questions. What steps are we going to take to prevent ourselves from being tempted? Hey, so so let's just break it down real simple. If you struggled with alcohol addiction, do you think it's a good idea to walk into a bar? No. If you struggled with drugs, And alcohol, do you think it would be a good idea to walk into one of these crazy nightclubs where everybody's doing all different kinds of craziness? No. We want to make sure we're taking steps not to be tempted. Now, do we think Jesus walked into the wilderness and was like, okay, where's the devil at so I can find myself some temptation? Obviously not. The devil's going to do everything he can to put it in front of us, but we need to make sure we are taking steps to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in unnecessary temptation uh, situations, if you will. And when we do get tempted, we have to find a way of escape. What do we do? I just told you. Hide God's word in your heart. Look to him. Pray. Confess with your mouth. Get you a circle. Call your person in your circle. I'm being tempted. I need you to pray with me. I'm telling you right now, I can't tell you how many unbelievable prayers have been prayed for me over the phone that have helped me. It is, it is imperative to have that in your life. So, again, make sure you are taking steps to prevent yourself from being tempted. And when you are tempted, have a way of escape. Now, next thing we need to understand is the Lord gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Um, even though all have sinned and we will never achieve perfection in the flesh, there is still hope. Um, after reminding his readers that everyone has sinned, John encouraged, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, where we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation of our sin, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, the word propitiation, excuse me, can also be translated as atoning sacrifice. If you look actually in the NIV, I believe that's the words it uses, atoning sacrifice. By sacrificing himself on the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sins. 
Um, and our sins are so great, both individually and collectively, um, that we could never hope to make up for them. Excuse me. Um, we, we can never get good enough, if you will, or do enough good deeds to atone for our own sins. Fortunately, Jesus paid the price. His death paid it all for you and I. He, God himself said, I will become as one of them. I will robe myself in flesh. I will crucify that flesh on the cross. I will become the spotless lamb that died in the place for you for your sins. How many are grateful for that tonight? I am grateful that Jesus Christ thought enough of me to be willing to die for me. He thought I was worth saving. So uh, let's look at another prayer. Uh, David, David's prayer of repentance. Psalms 51, we, we read the first three verses of it a minute ago, provides a great example for us to follow when we sin. David's example should make us more willing to confess and repent of our own sin. After all, even if even the great King David could not uh, make a mistake in sin, then who are we to pretend that we are not going to do it? And if he could repent and receive forgiveness for the severe sins he committed, adultery, murder, etc., then who are we to think he cannot repent and receive forgiveness? Um, so we should always try our best to use Psalms 51. I, I believe we have a video available right now, Brother Ben. Psalm 51 is probably one of the more familiar psalm that we hear. That is King David praying that repentant prayer. And we've all had to reach for that at times when we ourselves have been in a situation where we need repentance, we need God's forgiveness. David's heartfelt words are still applicable today because he didn't just say, forgive me God, and it'd be finished in one verse. But he kind of went on and said, purge me, cleanse me blot out that transgression, have mercy. I get this feeling that David was saying, I don't want any, any dredges of that sin anywhere in my life. I want it completely gone. I want it removed, and I am repenting of that. I'm sorry for that. And we can, take a, we can pattern ourselves after that. We can also spend some time in our repentance. I don't get the feeling that David just said, God, you know what I did, I'm sorry. I think David probably named his sins, named all of them, and said, God, forgive me for each one of those. And that's an example that I like to do also when I'm praying a prayer of repentance. Instead of just a generic, forgive me, God, when I name that sin and what I did or what I said or how I felt or whatever the, the situation is, when I name that to God, I, I kind of drag that sin out and expose it for what it is. And I see it, and so I think the next time that that temptation comes around, I might be less likely to fall to that temptation because I've seen it in all of its ugliness. It's been exposed because I brought it out and I, I confessed that to God in my request for forgiveness. The Bible tells us that the thief comes to kill and destroy and to steal. And one of the things that I think happens when we sin is Obviously, our peace is gone. There's a lot of things that are taken from us when we commit a sin or a sin is, is committed against us. 
but one of the things that happens is our, our joy is gone. And we, and we can pray that prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. That's something that the enemy takes from us or we lose when, when we sin. And when I pray that prayer, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, it's, it can serve twofold. It can be, I need, I need to forgive myself, and so I need that, that clean heart, that new spirit, that right spirit again. But perhaps I was sinned against, and so I need to offer that, that forgiveness to someone else. And so I'm asking in that prayer, God, renew my spirit. Create in me a clean heart. I don't want to hold anything against someone else. I don't want to come into my prayer of repentance and say, I'm sorry I did this, God, but it was because they did this or said that or acted this way. That's not true repentance if I'm trying to excuse it by what something, someone else did. But I come with that broken, contrite spirit that David talks about, and God is drawn towards that. He resists the proud, but he draws nigh to those that are of that broken, contrite spirit. Verse 15 says, My mouth shall show forth thy praise. And that praise, given from a redeemed, forgiven, grateful spirit, is the best kind of praise. Amen. While all of Israel was out fighting the Ammonites, David remained behind in Jerusalem um, with his mind and hands idle. Um, idle hands, we've always heard, are the, the, the tools of the devil, if you will. Um, and uh, then one late afternoon, David was walking aimlessly on the roof of the king's house, uh, a place that he should not have been at that time, for it was his duty and his responsibility to lead the, the, the children of Israel in this war. The, the king's job was to be a leader, not just a, a, a boss, if you will. There's a big difference. Um, and so he was supposed to be out there leading. And when, while he was not, again, that's probably where it started. There's always a place where you can go back and you can find where it started. Uh, where did it start with David? He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was in a place that he should not have been. He did not put himself where he was supposed to be. Um, so sitting with his idle hands, standing on this roof, he looks down and he sees Bathsheba, a beautiful woman married to Uriah the soldier. And she's bathing on a rooftop. He, he, and, and the last time I checked, I don't believe they bathe with their clothes on, okay? So this was, this was something that he should not have been looking upon. We would agree, correct? This was another man's wife, and, and David had a wife. Um, so th this, this should not have been something he was doing. Uh, and in that moment, David had yet another choice. He was already doing what he should not have been doing. He was already in a place he shouldn't have been, Pastor. But he still had a choice in that moment to either act upon the temptation or to look away and repent of it. Now, we all know the story. What happened? David acted upon his sin. He, he sent for his servant to go and get her and brought, brought him to her. And, and one thing led to another. And I think most of us, all adults in this room, we know what happened. Okay? Um, he had the opportunity. Um, the look turned into lust. The lust turned into a fantasy, and then David did the unthinkable. He forced her to come to him, then forced Bathsheba into bed. David grossly abused his power as king to take something he desired, something he was, that was not his to take. Um, shortly after, Bathsheba let David know that, guess what? <laughs> There's a baby on the way. 
Um, even though David had already sinned, he had an opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness. But sin, left unchecked, often compounds upon itself. See, all he had to do was be where he was supposed to be, Pastor. But he wasn't there. And then he put himself in a position to be tempted. He didn't put himself... He didn't, he didn't put himself in a good position to be used by God and what God intended him to do, but he put himself in a position to be tempted. And then he acted upon his temptation. He didn't repent of it then, and then it compounded and compounded, and now we have a baby on the way. Um, uh, sin left unchecked compounds itself. Instead of coming clean, David tried to cover up the sin again by bringing Uriah home from the battle and having him spend a night at home. He, he, he's, now he's lying. Now we're compounding sin more and more and more. So he calls him in to do this, but Uriah was more righteous than David at this point, in this instant. He refused to relax while his fellow soldiers were at war. And he refused to go to his house and to his wife in a rage David sinned again. He ordered Uriah to the front lines of the battle and secretly ordered his captain to withdraw, allowing Uriah to be killed. Now David was guilty of multiple unthinkable sins, adultery, murder, lying, cheating. David sought the Lord for forgiveness, however. Like all sin, it cannot remain hidden forever. In this instance, God revealed David's sin to Nathan the prophet. Nathan confronted David and caused him to realize the seriousness and gravity of his sin. Even then, David could have chosen to remain stubborn and refuse to admit wrongdoing. If he had done so, he likely would have gone down the path of Saul, his predecessor, and refused to humble himself before God. If David had not repented, God would have rejected him as king, even as he did Saul. But fortunately for David, he finally took the opportunity to repent and ask God for forgiveness. David confessed his sin to the man of God and publicly in the form of a psalm. Because he recorded his repentance in written form, we now have a pattern to follow when we sin. Whether or not our sin is as drastic as David's, the fact remains that we have a pattern to follow. Uh, I'm so grateful for the Word of God. Again, I have these studies, but uh, again, there's everything that you can need, you could ever need, is found in this Word. And He left us this, this uh, a blueprint, if you will, for for praying a prayer of repentance. Um, a man called a man after God's own heart, but yet he was a murderer, an adulterer. And let me just say this while we're on, while we're here, and maybe. God has called you to be something, and maybe you're in a position now where you 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 were in sin, and and, and you you've asked for forgiveness, but you've left yourself in a condemnation state, and you don't allow yourself to continue to walk down the path that God has called you to walk. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're never going to feel fully fulfilled until you walk the path God's called you to walk. You will never feel satisfied in your spirit until you walk the call God has placed upon your life. God is faithful and just to forgive. You need to forgive yourself as much as you for, as, as he forgives you. I don't know who that was for, but that was for free. That's not in my notes. Hallelujah. So have mercy upon me, O God. The first line of David's prayer was, Humble 
and straightforward. He was the king of all of Israel. He, there, there was nobody greater than him in all of the, the, the nation of Israel. But yet, his first line of prayer was one of humility, straightforward. Have mercy upon me, O God. David confessed his need for God and his mercy. In order to truly repent, we must confess that we need God. We can't make it on our own. We need Him in our life. Furthermore, we must admit that God is the only one who can clean us from our sin. David did so in plainly wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Those are the next two verses. David recognized that God was the only answer, Pastor, for his situation. When we get into a place We've allowed ourselves to fall into the degradation of sin and we've gone into what seems like the bottomless pit and we don't see any hope of getting out. Know this, God's arm is not short and his promise is not slack concerning you. He can reach into wherever you are if you just ask him to. He is faithful and just to forgive in any situation. David recognized that God was the only answer for his situation. David also gained a bigger perspective on the nature of his sin. He prayed, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Verse 4, David also recognized his sin nature. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalms 51 and 5. However, simply because he was born sinful, he was not, um, he, he was not uh, absolved, if you will, from needing to be cleansed. Uh, he, 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 was not, um, he did not have a free pass to get away from being cleansed because it was, it, my, I, I was born this way. How many have heard that before? I was born this way. That does not make it to where, awesome, you were born into sin, shaping and iniquity. That's, That's biblical. I'm glad that you've acknowledged that. Now let's get past that sin. Hallelujah. They don't ever like to go past that sin. However, simply because he was born sinful, it did not absolve him from needing to be cleansed. David continued, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 7. And then he gets to the crooks of what our message is tonight. Create in me a clean heart. It is not sufficient to pray for forgiveness and cleansing alone. If a person's heart is cleansed and nothing good replaces it, then that person will likely fall into sin again. Matthew 12 verses 43 through 45 talks about this. That is why David prayed Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 10 of Psalms 51. David knew only God, only God could provide him with a clean heart. And 
excuse me, deal with his carnality that had led him to commit those atrocious sins, these horrendous sins. Now, one of the most desperate and passionate passages of this entire prayer comes when David cries out, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Psalms 51 and 11. We realize and we understand tonight, and we've already established it from the beginning of this lesson, that God will not coexist with sin. If you have sin in your life, He will not coexist with it. And He will cast away from you. He will take His presence from you. The Holy Spirit will not dwell in a dirty house. David understood this. Earlier in his life, David had witnessed God's Holy Spirit being taken away from Saul. David saw the terrible path that Saul went down, and David did not want to go down the same path. When he repented, he, we, and when we repent, we must not only ask for our sins to be forgiven and our hearts to be cleansed, but we must also ask for God's Spirit to come and occupy the space which, in which sin used to dwell. If we do not allow the Holy Ghost to dwell in that place where sin used to dwell, we will fill it with more stuff. And we will allow that stuff to fester and become something that God never intended for you to be. We must, we must, we must, when we cleanse ourselves and we ask for forgiveness, ask God to come and dwell in that place. When God delivered you from sin and filled you with the Holy Ghost, what were some of the positive things God put into your life in place of your former sin? What kind of things did He replace your former sinful nature with? Maybe you were somebody who was a, 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 a very hatred, a person full of hatred and maybe mean and rough and guff. And when the Holy Ghost came in, you became a person that loved one another and you became a person of humility and you became a person that loved on people regardless of what they looked like, talked like, smelled like, act like, looked like. Maybe, just maybe. You were a person who did some of these horrendous sins that David did and lived a life according to how terribly David had lived his life in this situation. And, and, and when you have repented and you ask God to come back in your life, maybe you would become in a place like David was, uh, being a man after God's own heart. We need to remind ourselves often of what God has brought us from. Getting real quiet, Pastor. We need to remind ourselves often that we were once sinners, yet He saved us. He thought we were worth saving. He thought we were to die for. I'm telling you right now, if you begin your days with the prayer I talked about last week about ordering and guiding your steps, your thoughts, your actions, your words, if you begin your days with those kind of prayers and you often remind yourself of all the blessings God's put in your life since you've been filled with the Spirit, it'll be a whole lot easier to overcome temptation when it comes. What are you filling your mind with? 
What are you putting in front of your eyes? What are you allowing to come into your ears? What are you filling your subconscious with? Is it things that uplift you and encourage you? Are they things that, 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 that God has ordained? Are they things that are of God and not things of this world? Or are we allowing uh, uh, the, 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 the craziness of this world and all this, the, the, the craziness we see on social medias? And are we allowing that to come into our life? And what Hollywood says is the right and the wrong and fair and unfair and, and, and what this world has decided, are we, are we allowing that to affect what God sees? Are we allowing it to, or excuse me, what we see through our eyes rather than seeing what God sees? What are we doing? We must, we must, we must, we must always remind ourselves of what God has given us, the blessings that he has laid before us. Because without him, we wouldn't have them. Without him, there would be no blessings. Without him, there would be no great victory. Without him, there wouldn't be a new property that we're getting ready to build on in Jesus' name. That's causing me to sneeze like crazy up here and cough and, and runny nose because all that, hey, my Lord, hallelujah. Um, we wouldn't have these blessings if it wasn't for him. Stop allowing the enemy to put in front of you what he is trying to. Listen, he's a, he's a barking dog. He runs the end of his chain and barks. That's all he can do. Stop allowing the enemy to lie to your mind. My Lord, I'm so off my notes right now, it's ridiculous. Stop allowing the, 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 the enemy to lie to your mind and, keep, and put you in a place where, you know what, I, I, I've, I've, I've overcome this sin, but now I'm, I'm just struggling and I'm stuck in this rut. We need to remind ourselves daily of what God has done for us. Why? Because this is part of the steps of keeping you in a position to overcome temptation. Know this, he's already lost the battle. He realizes that. He has no chance. He's just trying to take as many people down in the ship as he can. Do not let the enemy lie to your head. But rather, when we sin, let us seek the Lord for forgiveness. Even, through, even though Christ has already died for our sins, this does not excuse us from having to ask for forgiveness. God is gentle and respectful of our wishes. He will allow us to remain in our sin if we so desire. He's a gentleman. Moreover, we should not just repent and ask for forgiveness once, but we should learn to live a lifestyle of repentance, asking for forgiveness often in order to stay pure. The best practice is to repent regularly and ask for forgiveness of any and all sin in our lives. We are what we are aware of and what we are not. When I pray these prayers, Pastor, I typically pray, God, search me to the innermost depths, to the deepest, darkest corner of my soul and my heart. If there be anything that's in there that's not like you, God, please remove it. Reveal it to my eyes. Let me know what it is so I can remove it. God, I don't want there to be anything inside of me that you won't coexist with. 
I want you in my heart. I want you in my mind. I want you to guide my thoughts, my steps, my actions, my words. I need you to guide my feet. Why? Because I'm a man and I will fail without your guidance, without your direction, without your leadership, oh God. And I know you won't live where sin is. So search me, oh God, to the innermost depths. And if there's something that's not like you, remove it, oh God. Wash me, purge me, cleanse me white as snow. And allow me, oh God, to be like you. Let me see through your eyes today, Heavenly Father. These are the types of prayers that we should pray. There is a power in repentance. When people repent and receive forgiveness, they often use powerful language to describe it. Freeing and liberating a fresh start. These words sound like someone being released from a prison. And repentance is truly similar experience, Pastor. It really is. Repentance is a necessary and important first step on our journey to God. And our ongoing journey with God. It is a first step that we should be practicing every day. 1 John 1 and 9 gives us the promise associated with repentance. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess and repent, He will forgive. This is our confidence and our promise we have with Him. We cannot expect to become perfect and stop sinning altogether, but however, we can't expect to sin less as we do, and, and, and fall upon God's grace and mercy when we do fall. God's grace and mercy makes us more like Him. And every time we do sin, we have the promise of God's forgiveness and mercy waiting for us once again. Again, think back to the first time you remember repenting. Think about how it made you feel. The words you would use to describe it. The, the, the feelings you felt. The, the, the freedom that you feel. If you if you've, have been in the church a long time, think about your prayers recently. How have your prayers changed? Now, God is a God of restoration. I am a living proof that God is a God of restoration. When we realize God loves us and primarily desires our repentance and restoration, we should no longer hesitate to come to Him for mercy and grace. Many do not come to God for fear He will be harsh with them, but that is not the type of God we serve. He understands the magnitude of the struggles. So he gave his own life so we would have an opportunity to escape those struggles. With this knowledge, we should be quick to follow the scriptural advice. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I am thankful that God is a God of restoration. 
I am thankful that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Until the trumpet sounds, there is still hope. Do not allow the enemy to lie in your ear and tell you that God is done with you. That all, I, all you've got left is just to try to be good the rest of your life and maybe you'll squeak into heaven. That is not the will of God for anyone in this house. God is expecting and desires to restore anything that the, the, that, that the enemy has tried to eat up and destroy in your life. God wants to use you in a mighty and miraculous way. Do not allow the enemy to lie to your mind. Now, if you've already experienced the power of repentance, what are some things God has restored in your life? And are there things you thought you had lost that he gave back and gave back more abundantly? Do we have that second video, brother? So I can't tell this testimony with starting off with what sounds like a bit of a humble brag, but when I was a kid, I was smart. I had intelligence, I had book smarts, and I had people that were pressuring me as a child to achieve academically. They were trying to enroll me into math contests and stuff, and I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the academics. So in my sophomore year, I decided to rebel. I decided to do my own thing. I didn't want to do academics. I didn't want to be smart. And so I decided to pursue rock and roll. I lived a rock and roll lifestyle with uh, just filled my life with recreational drugs and alcohol, among other things. So had a good time living my life for myself. I didn't believe in God. And I, so I just, I was the most important thing in my world. That took me into radio, where I was, a, I was a DJ, living the rock and roll lifestyle. My every day was the same. I had a morning show. I woke up, did my morning show. I'd get off at 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and then just live the rest of the day looking for the next party. I'd look for concerts. I'd look for anything to do that just involved fun, alcohol, drugs, just having a good time in life. Needless to say, after a decade of doing that, starting when I was 16, at the, about the age of 25, 26, my lifestyle started to catch up to me in that uh, I was drinking constantly, I was doing drugs constantly, and my mind was starting to slip. People that I was doing drugs with were starting to note that I was looking burnt out, and I tried to cover the signs, but as, uh, as the time wore on, I was just becoming a shell of a person. When I was alone, I, 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 I just wasn't happy. And uh, finally, somebody came to me, and they, they talked to me about the Holy Ghost. I was an atheist at the time. I didn't know what the Holy Ghost was. I listened. I didn't believe them at first, but they showed me that the Bible said, hey, if you, know, if you believe in Jesus, he comes to you. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is real. And when I asked him, you know, God, if you're real, come. I'll listen. And he did. So I remember the, I was in Herrick, Illinois, at Thomas, Pastor Suey's church, and I remember the last thing that I said before feeling the God in a new way was, uh, God, if you're real, 
please take control of my life because everything that I've done has led me to this dead end. And when I said that, I felt the presence of God just overcame me and, and it took time, years of patience, of, of discipleship and following after him, but he made the difference. And right away, you know, it, it, I wasn't a chain, my mind wasn't restored right away. It took a lifestyle of holiness, of choices, where I had to get out of that partying mode. I had to change my job. I had to change. I finally went to Urshan Graduate School, not as a means of getting an education, but just as a means of getting away from my old life and pursuing a new life. Over the years, praise God, my mind has been restored. And so now I serve as the children's editor for Pentecostal Publishing House. I never could have done that when I was first, uh, when I first came to Christ, when I was first filled with the Holy Ghost. I was just this burnt out DJ. But through a lifestyle of holiness and a lifestyle of choosing to follow after God, God has restored my mind and I praise him for it every day. That is awesome, isn't it? What that speaks to me is that there is no such thing as a lost cause. God has purpose for you. The decision is in our hands. We know we are sinners. At times, we will sin, both knowingly and unknowingly. Therefore, we must choose whether to repent and seek God or will we be like Saul and choose to stubbornly remain in our sin? Will we allow David's example to seek forgiveness no matter how small or large we perceive our sin to be, take over our life? Or will we lead a life of sin and degradation and filth, lust, you name it? and become an empty, hollow shell of what God intended for me to be. In closing tonight, I'd like to help us internalize this message. Because temptation and sin are common to all humanity, there are many examples of right and wrong ways to deal with sin. Furthermore, because sin is so per pervasive and and there are so many examples of different types of sin that we deal with. However, all sin has one thing, one thing in common. It can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. If someone repents and asks for forgiveness, no sin is so large that God is unable or unwilling to forgive. We must also remember that God does not rank or qualify our sins like we humans do. For us, there are certain offenses people can commit that seem much larger than others. For example, the sin of premeditated murder seems like much more appalling and disgusting, um, if you will, than lying to one's manager to get out of work. However, in the eyes of God, there are no big sins and little sins. Sin is sin, plain and simple. Anything that separates us from God is sin. Now, we understand the Bible talks about 
the Ten Commandments and 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 the Thou Shalt Nots. And there's some there. I've I've heard people refer to them as the Ten Biggies, if you will. And that's my a human mindset. It's not God's mindset. God will not be where any sin is. That includes the smallest white lie to what I consider the most unbelievably dreadful sin of pedophilia. It makes me just cringe and, th- and want to vomit. There's nothing more horrendous in my eyes. That's the human nature. We try to rank things. But it's sin. And here's the reality of it. They all have one thing in common I just said. The, the key to overcoming that little white lie is repentance to Jesus Christ. The key to overcoming a murderous, adulterous life was forgiveness through repentance. The key to overcoming pedophilia and ugly, dark, nasty sins, whatever you want to throw out there, is repentance and being forgiven by the only one who can forgive it. To describe sin, some have used the metaphor of of archers shooting arrows at a target. One might miss the bullseye by only a couple inches, and another might miss by several feet. However, the result is the same. The target has been missed, and the archer has failed the assignment. Similarly, any sin can cause us to miss the target and can separate us from God. Fortunately, no matter our sin, we boldly can bring all sin to Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for all of them. The old covenant did not make distinctions between sins, and the priest offered different sacrifices for different sins. However, when Christ died for our sins, He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Hebrews 10 and 12 tells us this. The work was completed. Now we can come boldly before Him, repent, and receive forgiveness for our sins. So in closing, now, why don't we all stand? The reality is this. You are going to be tempted. It is inevitable. You are born into sin and shaping in iniquity. And if you lean upon your flesh, you most likely will fall into the temptation of sin. There is hope, forgiveness, and repentance. There's going to be sins you don't even realize you've committed. We need to ask God to help us to forgive us of those. And most importantly, on the other side of this is allowing God to step into the places that you remove sin from. Whatever it might be, whatever that is holding you back, whatever addiction or or circumstance of life, whatever the care of life that you have been trying to let go of and, and this sin and God is trying to convict you of and you won't let, I'm telling you, it's not worth it. It's not. We need to find a place of repentance every day. Lead a lifestyle of repentance. Why? Because God will not coexist with sin. And if He won't coexist with sin and we have sin in our life, guess what? He's no longer there. I want Him in my heart at all times. 
Why? Because I'm a failure. Without Jesus Christ, Mike Kidwell is an ugly, nasty man. Full of sin. Full of hate. Full of anger. Full of pride. But when I allowed the Holy Ghost to take over my life, he replaced hate with love. He replaced anger with forgiveness. He replaced my troubled mind with peace that passes all understanding. And most importantly, he restored a ministry I thought was gone. What ministry have you let go of, ma'am, sir? Because you thought that you're not no longer worthy or qualified. God's calling us to a place of forgiveness tonight. He's calling us to a place of forgiveness. I think it would be appropriate if we all just found a place at this altar just right now. And I'm actually, I'm actually going to ask Pastor to come and help us, lead us in a prayer of repentance tonight over our church. Why? Because God will not coexist with sin. And he's speaking to our hearts tonight and letting us know that there's something that's keeping us from going to that next realm that next dimension, the new place. I promise you, sir, the hate and the anger are going to go away as soon as you ask him to take it. But then I'm asking you to ask him to replace it with something. Ask him to replace it with his love, his mercy, his grace. Why don't we do that? Why don't we all gather in around this front and pastor's going to come and he's going to pray or lead us in a prayer of repentance right now. our hands right now it's between you and God once you just begin to pray let's all pray and ask right now ask the Lord to search your heart search your mind search your spirit there's anything that is not of him I want you to simply ask God forgive me Lord uh, forgive me of these things Lord that I'm sorry it's a simple prayer of repentance is a simple prayer of saying I'm sorry God I've messed up Lord I've fallen short God Restore me, Jesus, right now. Jesus, in your mighty name. And I pray, Lord God, you would search us right now, Lord. And I pray, oh God, that you would see, God, if we've gotten on the wrong path, God, if we've done something wrong against you, Lord, I pray, God, that you would. God, restore right now in this place. Let there be a spirit, God, of forgiveness and restoration, Lord God, to rest upon this sanctuary right now, Lord, I pray, God. God, there are those, God, maybe they have forsaken, God, the calling, God, forsaken, Lord, what you've placed upon them, God. God, I pray right now, God, they've accepted sin, God, the more than they've accepted you, Lord. They've accepted strongholds, oh God, and temptations of the flesh, Lord. I pray we would lay those things down on an altar tonight, God. God, that we would set them ablaze tonight, God, that we would not leave the same way as we came into this place. And I pray right now, oh God, if you would, Lord. God, I pray right now that that sweet grace and mercy, Lord. Uh, God, I pray let us sweep across this place right now, oh, Lord. Uh, God, let there be a spirit, oh, God, of forgiveness right now. Jesus, in your mighty name, in your mighty name.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you raise your hands high and just thank God for forgiveness. Uh, thank God for grace and mercy right now. Uh, come on, thank God for restoration tonight. Jesus, in your mighty name, I thank you, Lord. Uh, God, you are a God of restoration, Lord. Uh, God, you are a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances, Lord. God, it's new every morning when we come to you, oh, Lord. I pray, God, that we will learn, God, to pray prayers of repentance daily, God. I pray, God, that we will be a people, God, that seek out your heart, Lord. I pray, God, we will be a people, God, that will die daily, Lord, to our flesh and the things of our flesh, the temptations, Lord, of our flesh, oh, God. God, that we will be able to lay those things down and turn around, God, and do what is pleasing unto you, Lord. In this place tonight, Jesus, we thank you for it. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus, Jesus' name. I heard a elder one time from Lancaster Church spoke these words. He said, Brother Blankenship, he said, you know, one of the greatest things I discovered in my life is the prayer of repentance. He said, every night before I go to bed, I ask God to search my heart, my mind, and my spirit. And I ask him to reveal those things that maybe I don't even see. And I ask him to forgive me of those things every night before I go to bed. He said, the reason I do that, he said, because I truly don't know if I have offended him in any way throughout my day. I don't know if I did him wrong. He said, I never want to take a chance of going to sleep and not waking up without asking God to forgive me, to give me a clean heart. He said, that way the next morning when my feet hit the floor, he said, my prayer then is God lead me and guide me today in the path you want me to take. He said, I know that before I went to bed, I prepared myself for the following day. He said, then I asked God that next morning, God, I don't have to get up and say, oh, forgive me, I've done wrong. He said, I've already done that. He said, I asked the Lord if you would just prepare my path today. Sometimes we fight amongst the calling of God in our life and the path that God has given us and the path we want to take. And it was said tonight, and this is something I just felt to share. I know Has anyone ever seen that show, um, My 600-Pound Life? You think, where is Pastor Mary? Well, I took a Sudafed PE one night that's supposed to knock you out, and I found out that it has a reverse effect on me. I couldn't go to sleep, and uh, I don't take those anymore. Uh, it was about 3 a.m. Just, just felt miserable, and, and I said, okay. I just I turned it on, and that was that show, and I was like, oh, wow. I'll never forget, the, the, the scene was the, the lady was in the, in the doctor's office, and if you've ever seen that show, that doctor is very straightforward with them. Um, he walks in and is like, why are you so fat? And I'm like, I need him in my life. <laughs> but I'll never forget the lady, she said, her mom was sitting there with her, and she said, well, it started when I was a child, my mom, my mom, my mom, my mom, my mom. He said, stop. He said, until you stop blaming other people and take ownership for the decision you've made in your life, you'll never fix this. 
It's the same thing with our sin. We can say, well, so-and-so did this and brought me into it. Well, so-and-so, you know, they led me into this. Well, the, the, the. no, it was you the whole time. You know, David can say, well, Bathsheba wouldn't have been on the roof bathing. No, David, if you would have been where you were supposed to be, you wouldn't be dealing with it. And this thought I want to share with you, this, this quote real quick of, from A.W. Tozer. He said this, in every Christian's heart, which is where it starts, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and there is a throne. He said, the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. You have a decision to make with your heart. Who does it belong to? Who? You say, well, pastor, I've been baptized in Jesus' name. I washed them. All my sins have been washed away. You're right. All your sins were washed away in that moment. And, and the, I thank God that the power of the blood of Jesus has the ability, Brother Sam, to wash those sins away. But you know what you have? You have the power and the ability to pick them up and bring them right back in. It's not until, this, this quote is what hit me so hard. It's not until we put our own agenda and we put our own self-desires and those things that we struggle with with our flesh. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody, everybody has stuff you, you struggle with in your flesh. You know it doesn't please God. It's not until you put those things in his hands and you remove yourself off the throne of your heart and put yourself on the cross and die out to those things and say, God, it's yours. That your life will actually turn around and you live a life that is pleasing unto him. And that's what we're all striving to do. We're striving to live a life that's pleasing unto him. Not saying you're going to be perfect because no one, no one is going to be perfect. He was the only one perfect to walk this, this earth. But we are striving to be like him. And it's nice to know that when we mess up, we say, you know what? Repentance, your grace is going to be there. Now, that doesn't mean we wake up every day and say, well, what can I get into today? Because I know his grace will be there for me. You don't spit in the eye of the grace of God. And every time you choose to sin, that's exactly what you're doing. Is you're just spitting in the eyes of the grace of God. I say, I know what you did. I, I, I know that you went to the cross. I get that. But choosing to do this, bringing it into your life willingly, will change who you are. But you also have the ability to push those things out. And that's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you the rest of this week, between now and Sunday, I challenge you to pray. I challenge you to ask the Lord to reveal to you what those struggles are in your life. We talk about addictions all the time. All right? I'll tell you, I'm guilty of it as your pastor. I, I preach on addictions. Some things in our life are not addictions. They're just strongholds that our flesh just likes. Our flesh likes to have. And the reality is, you know, we, we can make... We can make pop, caffeine a God. I can make coffee a God. If I said, oh, I can't go a day without it, Brother Bob. Now, I love my coffee. You love your coffee. We got that in common. We love coffee. I prefer to have one in my hand at all times. But I could go without it. 
because it's not a God to me. But when we begin to struggle with those things, that we say, I just can't live without it. We got to be careful because we are placing those things on the throne of our heart. And our heart belongs to him. So I challenge you this week, in your personal time of prayer, ask God, God, will you reveal unto me? And he is faithful to do this. This is what I love about him. If he, he is faithful to reveal unto you the things that does not please him. And there's this thing that will set in. And when you open your heart to him, there's this thing that sets in called conviction. Anybody ever felt conviction? <laughs> Man, it's a tough one. But you know what? I pray daily, God, convict me today if there's anything that's not of you. I welcome it into my life. I want conviction. I want him to correct me if I'm doing something wrong because he's the one that makes the decision whether or not I'm living right. And he's going to be the one, the judge, who's going to make a decision someday whether or not we get into heaven. So I want to make sure I'm living a life that's pleasing unto you. Don't live a life that's pleasing unto me. All right? Because I'm just going to tell you what, what God wants from you. But there's going to be things in your life I don't even know about that God's going to reveal unto you that might need to go. At the end of the day, if you can wake up in the morning, you can say, God, guide my steps today. Lead me to somebody I can speak to today, I can witness to today. I promise, I promise you it will transform your life. It will transform this church if we can do that. It all starts right here in the heart. Amen. A great message tonight, Brother Kim. Well, thank you so much for challenging us to get our hearts right. Get our hearts right. What sits on the throne of your heart tonight? What sits on the throne of your heart? Amen. Um, before you leave, um, Brother James, if you would help us out tonight. Um, if you do have something to get back into the kingdom, I challenge you to please be here Sunday. Um, I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. Uh, the message he gave to give. He gave to give. Then the following week, we'll be preaching that we give to give. Um, <clears throat> and it's going to be something that's going to basically, I'm, I'm kind of setting the path for us to go right into 2022. And the um, Lord has already spoken to me the direction we're going for next year. I'm very excited about that. And I truly believe we're going to see great things take place next year and uh, in this church. Amen. Amen. Won't you shake hands, be friendly tonight? Love every single one of you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.